Um, okay, before we start, can I ask you like yeah. a 90s question? Sure. Were you like a Nirvana fan? Yeah, I was young. I was in grade school. Do you remember Kurt Cobain yeah. being found? Ab- yes. Dead? Oh, absolutely. I remember that footage they had all like of the outside the greenhouse. I'm getting chills thinking about it. I remember watching it. Did you ever go to a Nirvana concert? I never went to a Nirvana concert. Do you no. have any memories of like just headbanging and like mosh pits with your friends? No, I wore flannel. I had Jankos. <laughs> what are Jankos? Jankos are the big wide leg jeans. <laughs> I had like Airwalk sneakers. <laughs> you don't have no, you don't get any of these. Did you see my gay eyes just go totally blank? Yeah. Yep, I'll show you. I don't have a picture of me, but you know, do you remember like the Delia's catalog? No? Okay. Whatever. I was just like at home pegging my pants and listening to the Indigo Girls. <laughs> um, you guys, before we get to the episode, I just want to say thank you so much to the thousands and thousands of you that have found our podcast. I can't believe I know, it. It's insane. All these awesome emails and tweets. I'm, I'm loving it. We're I'm so dying. excited. Now, the one thing I'm going to say is if you love our show, we would love you to help us find more people to love the show. And there's two ways you can do that. The best way would be to share your favorite episode on your social media, like your Twitter or your Facebook or whatever. Um, you can also rate and review us on iTunes. That's really helpful. Yeah. And we appreciate it so much. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Times a million. Yeah. All right. Now to the show. Um, hi, Jillian Pensavalli. Hey, Patrick Hines. How are you? I'm great. It is sweltering hot today. I know. It's super hot. Oh, man. Um, speaking of hot, Kurt Cobain <laughs> was easy on the eyes. His blue eyes are gorgeous. I, 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 I was... Are. What on earth are we talking about today? We're talking about Kurt and Courtney. This movie is ins- This movie really is insane. The thing about it, for people who don't know, this movie was directed by Nick Bloomfield, who's also really well known for the Eileen Warnos documentary. Maybe there's more than one. There's something about watching a Nick Bloomfield documentary that is at once like you can't. It's like reading the National Enquirer, and you can't tear yourself away. But as soon as it's done, you need a shower. You have to tell your friends you were watching PBS, and you instantly have to turn on NPR. Yeah, and also like while you're on Reddit searching for things exactly. that you were talking about. It's so it's so slimy. Like it's just it's very. I forgot how like slimy it feels to watch a Nick Bloomfield. Nick, if you're listening, no offense. Come on the podcast. <laughs> We can talk about it. Can I read my paragraph? You can always. You never have to ask. I know, but it's a good place to stick in the music. Okay, perfect. That's fair. (laughs) That is fair. Really, there's there's not a lot to like to really like prime the listeners for this documentary. The one thing I want people to know is sort of the circumstances of his death and 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 like how they found his body. So I just wrote this up real quick. So on April 2nd, 1994, Kurt Cobain climbed over the wall of the Exodus Rehab Center in LA uh, and flew back to Seattle. 5 days later on April 8th, 1992, his body would be found in the Seattle mansion he shared with his wife Courtney Love, having been there undiscovered for 4 days. He was found with a shotgun laying across his body and there was a visible head wound from the from the gunshot. He also had a shit ton of heroin and valium in his bloodstream and there was a suicide note discovered next to the body which we have to talk about it's crazy it's crazy time. It, was it a suicide note well i will we'll get we'll there see, we'll get there we'll so see. for for me and jillian this movie is kind of broken into three segments right it because it's it's kind of a long it's kind of a long movie um and it's only an hour and a half 
<laughs> but there is, he packs so much into it. And right when you think he's going one direction, yeah. we shift. Right. So we're going to break it down like this. We're going to talk about the characters that we meet in the beginning. They are the ones that sort of provide the background on like who Kurt and Courtney were. Then we're going to talk about the, the, the suicide and the conspiracy theory around it. And then we're going to end with what I like to call tracking down Courtney love I mean what a, what a there is no more terrifying human on earth I, I, I mean I, the fear in those people's eyes when they're like I'm scared of Courtney like what's gonna happen after this documentary airs and also where are those people I hope they're okay <laughs> and because we can't use any Nirvana music because she wouldn't let any Nirvana music in the documentary because uh-huh. she would like she had her claws in that she was watching yeah. this documentary being made like a hawk <laughs> Which is funny because then you couldn't find her. But it's like, you know, she's like omnipresent. Totally. They were getting calls from MTV. But so because of that, I was listening to Nirvana all morning. Like we said, the first part of this movie is just sort of like meeting the people that were like knew him when, you know. Yeah. And the first person we meet is Aunt Mary, who I literally wrote this down. Um, number one, why does she have like a NASA level recording studio like in her living room? Like, from 1982. From 1982. And number two, she has the best 90s style Indigo Girls haircut I've ever seen yeah, in it, my life. It all comes back to the Indigo Girls. It really does. <laughs> um, Aunt Mary. Aunt Mary. Well, she has all these recordings. She is maybe the one who got Kurt into this music scene and just being recorded. So, of course, they... Nick starts with the heartstrings, these like old childhood. I mean, he's a toddler and it's recordings of Kurt Cobain. It's devastating to hear them. They are... I mean, I'm getting chills thinking about it. It's so sad, and it's like, oh, Nick, you bastard. <laughs> you, but you've, like, never heard a happier-sounding two-year-old. He's thrilled. Yeah. He's just happy to be recorded. He, You could tell he's in his element, and he can't. he's not even, like, saying full words. Yeah. And she, meanwhile, like, Aunt, what's her name? Aunt Mary has, like, the cross tapestry like right over her left shoulder yeah lest sure we does. forget that she's like can't forget it no <laughs> in my mind forever just like she wants it it's weird because he's such an iconic figure in music history yeah. to hear a to see somebody who was like related to him who was so like painfully normal but b just to like hear these recordings and these stories about him and like she's got all of these like recordings from when he was like a teenager so uh we can hear a little bit of it here Oh, do you want to... Sure, no, just, just play it. Just play it. Yeah. Courtney Love has threatened legal action, so I removed the song. Instead, this song is by Kurt's best friend Dylan and his band Earth. This part of the documentary is like very much meant to give us a sense of like who Kurt was as a kid. Nick like takes a road trip and drives to Aberdeen where he meets the teacher... I think it was like the the principal or something. Was it? They called it the schoolmaster, which is like what a creepy <laughs> title. Speak to me. Who are you? What are you doing? Oh, we're, Fill me we're, in. We're, we're from, I'm not sure. We're from the BBC, and we're doing uh, probably the same film that everybody else does. Who comes to Aberdeen? A film about Kurt Cobain. Kurt was kicked out of his house. He had a very tumultuous childhood, yeah. and so he was you know sleeping in hallways a lot, and and the the son I think or the the kid of this schoolmaster said hey can Kurt come over and then can Kurt stay the next night and then yeah. he was like watering the plants and like cooking food. he well, was like he, earning his keep they tell the story of how he like wakes up and asks like how can he help that first morning he got up and asked what he could do to help around the house what he could do to be of service and fit in 
And then the second night stretched to a week, and the week stretched to a month, and he kept his sleeping bag behind the couch. Then they show, like, the bridge where, like, Kurt would go and live when he, like, didn't have anywhere else to live. Mm -hmm. He, like, literally lived under the bridge at the end of the street. At other times, Kurt would go and live under the bridge at the end of his street, the bridge immortalized by Kurt in his song, Something in the Way. We were told by one of the locals that when MTV filmed here, they repainted it and removed all the syringes. Can we talk about his girlfriend, Tracy Miranda? Yeah. So she was like the one like love of his life, they say, before he got famous. Yeah, apparently that, that song about a girl is like 99%, she says, written about her. Uh-huh. And they live together, and that's the lyric is, um, I can't see you every night for free. Uh-huh. And so she has all this old artwork of his. He did this painting right here. Now what's that? That looks to me like a fetus or an embryo. An embryo. Was he, uh, was he sort of fascinated with fetuses? He didn't really seem to be, except for in his artwork. He made all these things for her, like these sculptures and these paintings. And I'm just thinking, like, why is that not being preserved? That should be preserved, right? Yeah. But th- remember, this is now only three years after yeah. he's been found and he died. So, And she has it on display. It's like her own little museum, her own little yeah. shrine for her. Oh, and also Nick Bloomfield, the, the movie maker, finds out that like one of Kurt's favorite pastimes was shooting BBs into the into the building across the street. Oh, right. From his BB gun. Which was like the lottery. The lottery, the Washington lottery building. It was said that he particularly enjoyed firing pellets from his BB gun across the street into the Washington State Lottery. So what does he do? He walks in. Hi. Hi. And I mean, I guess like you have a camera crew, you're like, it's pretty obvious, but the woman is immediately like, get out, get out, get out. I'm calling the cops, get out. I'm sorry, sir, but you're not allowed to come in your office to call security. What? Are you authorized to be in the building with a camera? But then she tries to get him to stay so that he can get her. She calls security and he's like, all right, we'll leave. And she's like, no, you stay, you stay. Do you want to shut the camera off, please? Okay, we can go. Do you want to turn the camera off? Okay, we're, we're going. No, just stay. Let's go. Just no, we're going to go now. Like, she needs someone, like, she has to do it by the book. Yeah. Security needs to escort him out. That's what the rule book says. It's just, it seemed to me like a very strange moment to, to, to keep in the movie. I thought so, too. And I just, maybe because the reaction is so good and it's so real. Yeah. Where it's like, what? Like, he even looks back at the camera almost to the viewer. Like, can you believe this shit? What's... <laughs> like, what's her problem like, with this stuff? Like, what's her problem? Yeah, and maybe, was it because, like, was it like a Breaking Bad thing where people are now, like, going to the house or, like, doing their own tours? Like, maybe she uh-huh. was just, like... Enough Wait, is that damn a thing? kids. In Breaking Bad, I don't know. If, did you watch Breaking Bad? Oh, yeah. Okay, when Walter throws the pizza on the roof. Yeah, oh, yeah. People have pizzas delivered to that house, and Vince <laughs> Gilligan had to go, like, publicly say, stop it. These are lovely people. Stop doing are that. Are you serious? I swear. Throwing pizzas on roofs and stuff like that. Let me tell you, there is nothing original or funny or cool about throwing a pizza on this lady's roof. She, she is... Uh, it is just it's just not funny. It's been done before. You're not the first. And if, if I you, catch you doing it, I will hunt you down. I'm with you. So I don't know if it's, if it's one of those situations. Like that just seems like such a little known fact about Kurt Cobain. Yeah, that's that true. That people would do that, but uh-huh. I'm sure Aberdeen was just like flooded with with grudge kids who who just wanted to get one other note about that scene in Breaking Bad, apparently Brian Cranston says that happened completely by accident. First take. Yeah. <laughs> they thought they were going to have to like rig it and do all this stuff, and he just nailed it. Oh, so good. Brian Cranston, come on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> 
then we meet Amy. <laughs> Amy and her imaginary box of photos. And I wanted to get the photos of Amy with Kurt and Courtney as a kind of proof that she really knew them. So did you manage to get those photos? Um, I'm picking them up on Sunday from my parents. They're out of town, my little brother. Amy, who looks like a Courtney Love doppelganger. Thank you. Who gets ready to go out in the closet. Okay, that, let me, okay. (laughs) When that happened, it was like, Amy, is Amy ready? And she just like emerges backwards out of the closet. And I I was like, that's a closet. With the lights off. What was she doing in there with no lights on? And the person, of course, is like, yoo Amy, the documentary crew is here. Oh, is Amy in there? Hey. You guys can't do things like that without letting me know. Your hair's changed, Kelly. And the poor thing, like, she's clearly on something. She clearly has things that she's going through in whatever way. But she's also a liar. Yeah, 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 yeah. And has all these photos, and they, of course, never exist. And I also love, too, where they show up to the house, and Amy's like, oh, hey, did you want to come inside? No, 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 no. You guys weren't intending to come upstairs, were you? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. My boyfriend's sleeping. Um, all right. I think we should get to the meat and potatoes and talk about oh. Hank Harrison. Oh, Courtney's dad. Can you tell the people about Hank? Hank is a piece of work. <laughs> Hank has, is, like, has actually said He's the a words, total scumbag. Like, well, I'm not in the business of getting Courtney to love me or even like me. It's her father. I'm like, you're not here to... He was like, and I've told her that. Right. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I wonder why she's a mess. Right. Totally. Because her father is constantly like, I'm not here to love you. I'm here to have pit bulls. And like sick dogs on you. I asked him if it was true he got Rottweilers to discipline Courtney as a child. No, pit bulls. Yeah, no. Dude, I mean, it's horrifying. But he is convinced he's like, she's a mess. She is. And the way he describes, he was like, my house isn't for turning tricks and do it. And I'm like, hey. Because. My- <laughs> Calm down. No, but I told her what the rules were. Tough love rules. She was a minor. She couldn't smoke in the house. She couldn't do heroin. She couldn't turn tricks. And she couldn't bring her weird heroin buddies around anymore. I think the main thing that Hank wants to tell us is that he is convinced that Courtney had Kurt Cobain killed. And so he's saying, he's like giving us the evidence that like, he's saying that Courtney was taken from him when she was five. I don't know what that means. Like, did she go into foster care? I don't know, yeah. Um, That she stabbed a kid on the school playground when she was a kid. She's been in juvenile hall and was violent. Like, this is his justification for why he thinks that she's the kind of person who would murder Kurt have Kurt Cobain murdered. Yeah, definitely be involved in it in some way. And he then he mentions how it was a known undisputed indisputable fact that they were going to get a divorce kurt was had the wheels in motion of leaving her yeah and she was not a fan of that notion yeah. at all Me- meanwhile like truly hank is like trying to make i think that hank spends a lot of time trying to get nick on his side mm-hmm. and like nick it's an interesting filmmaking choice that nick rolls up to his house every single time with the cameras rolling like there's not a moment not on camera like we see them literally pulling up yeah and hank like coming into the passenger or the driver's seat window like hey fellas here we are again cinema verite how are you no time to talk just filming good fight how are you i think too like it's hard maybe to remember in 2017 how fucking famous courtney love was in 1998 like she was really at the top of her game she's going to the academy awards that year she was in that movie i can't remember people versus larry flint yes that's right Mm -hmm. um she totally redid her look which is a huge deal which sounds really superficial but it was a big deal because she went from 
ripping her tampon out during a stage performance yeah. and when she was in hole, like the baby doll dresses and the smeared lipstick yeah. to this like glamour puss, like really this white old Hollywood dress. And she seems completely sober every time she's on camera. Like she seems, you know, there's a lot in this movie made of the drug use and how like, you know, she's calling the dealer and Kurt's calling the dealer from different phones and like, but don't, they're both saying they're like one's on one line and one's on the other, but don't tell Kurt, don't tell Courtney. Like, I mean, she seems like a woman you wouldn't mess with, but she seems like that she, that she's got it together. At that point, Yes, at this in this little pocket of time and some of the things like when they when she's doing press for Larry Flynn or even on the Oscar red carpet in this little pocket of time. Yes, the footage that we see of her seems like she's kind of holding it together. Have you been embraced by the Hollywood community in the last year? I think so. I mean, if you mean like treated really nicely and not having to dive into mosh pits. Oh, my God. So nice. And what's really like tragic is that like it's at this point in the movie. I don't know what this interview is from. It, obviously, it wasn't Nick Bloomfield, but there's a there's a, an interview with Kurt Cobain that they use a, a couple of times, and this is the one where he's talking about. Um, maybe wanted to have a child, and how like you know he didn't he never wanted to have a kid until he met Courtney, mm-hmm. and. You know, their their kid, Francis Bean, is, like, never far from my brain when I'm watching this because oh, I have yeah. a daughter, yeah. you know. Um, but it's tragic footage because he also seems put together, you know. I mean, four years ago, I would have said the classic thing, like, um, you know, how dare someone bring a child into this life, you know. It's, it's completely a terrible way to go and, you know, the world's going to explode any day and stuff like that. But once you fall in love, it's... It's such a sad thing to have that realization and then have, you, know you know what's going to happen yeah exactly to see that to see it unfold again in real time is just like oh, yeah fuck, yeah bastard. i know okay the one last person we really need to talk about before we move on to the conspiracy theory is her portland friend Roz resbeck her ex-boyfriend. Ex-boyfriend. Who is not over it, let me tell you. <laughs> and has, like, no issue, like, guzzling a beer in the middle of the afternoon in the middle of an interview for a documentary. And he has boxes upon boxes yeah. upon boxes of things. And again, remember, everybody wrote everything down, you guys. There was it's no true. notes app. Like, everything yeah. was written down. This box here is just general. This is the from the time. This is the me and Courtney stuff. Sort of. A lot of this is the Courtney stuff. Well, she might want this back property of courtney he's like oh she was so ambitious and she was so this look at this she has a list of how how courtney's gonna make make it it. (laughs) and i'm like what's so wrong with that do you want to know what was on her list i sure do gig Gig locally locally tons stop working at jobs be financed get a deal using the new connections and the old ones movie comes out tour with furs or rem become friends with michael stipe and what does she do she goes out and does it I mean, you got to give her credit for that. Guess what Courtney Love fucking did? Every last thing on that list. Yeah. And there's a moment where her father talks about how she has ambition and how she must be psychotic if she's as ambitious as she is because there's, you know, you have to have that level of psychotic ambition to make it. And he's using that as like evidence that then she must have been able to kill, have Kurt Cobain killed. And it's so insane. And is it like, is he only saying that because she's a woman and we don't like to let women have ambition that somebody like Courtney Love who – Frankly, he messed up. He's responsible for all of the things that she had to overcome. And then she did it and became a megastar. Yeah. 
And, you know, I think it's a lot of people who don't understand the creative business because you and I can understand that list where it's like not working a nine to five day job, not doing this. And you have to have goals like that. So this guy, Roz Resbeck, apparently was like a big star in Portland. And the whole the whole thing is that Courtney was trying to make him famous. And I, I honestly think I think that he is mostly happy for her and happy for his association with her. Do you not? You don't think that? I don't think that at all. He referred he. Compares her to Charles Manson. <laughs> I, how, I don't understand how that's about that. Like, I don't get it. And a kinder, gentler Charlie Manson is still fucking Charlie Manson. So don't fuck with me, Courtney. I don't care if you are Jesus and your lawyers are the 12 disciples. She don't was trying to turn him into, she would like dress him up as different rock stars and yeah. or in that, that style and try to get him to just be that. But I want to be like, Roz, guess what didn't happen to you? Like you didn't take right? your own life with a shotgun. Like you here you are with your house and your family uh, and your cute little, like it, it, everything's fine. And I think that he knows that. I, I wrote, at first I was like, this guy's crazy. And then I wrote like all in caps and bold. I was like, I love this guy. I think he's cool and weird yeah and like he's got boxes full of crazy shit in the basement yeah you know but i think he even he even says that he's like i would have ended up like kurt yeah and he says you know she should win an oscar it's all fake it's all nonsense and he just really has it out for her like he he describes she would find your kink and then expound on it yeah is what he says and that's kind of like wow that that's there's ambition and then there's total full-on manipulation yeah totally you gotta love courtney no, you don't. All right, let's talk about the conspiracy theory. All right, so even at the top of my notes, it says, enter the Courtney conspiracy theory. <laughs> because now Tom Grant, P.I. Oh, my God. Who's gone bankrupt, by the way? Has he really? He's bankrupt. He's been ba- like, he bankrupt floating this theory that Courtney had Kurt Cobain killed. It's all he talks. I mean, it's his website. Is like, I, like Did Kurt. you spend some time on the site? Of course I did. I spent some time on the site, too. There are sound files. Well, first, I wrote this. I texted this to you that the um, the website looks like it was made by an Atari. Like, it is literally like Space Jam level 1989 style yeah. website. It's called CobainCase.com. <laughs> right, totally. It has Cobain, Kurt's name in the – it's not like Tom Grant, dot. Net, dot net like it, even it was, that would be more acceptable you have to get on your netscape navigator to get there guys <laughs> and use like web crawler like yeah, super exactly. old school i i think courtney used kurt from the beginning i think she married him for the sole purpose of furthering her career and obtaining some wealth and i think uh that there was a plan that was formulated quite a while back about how this was going to end up someday the day arose when Kurt finally made up his mind he was getting out of this marriage and he was leaving her. With Tom Grant, almost immediately, we also meet Dylan Carlson. Who's like Kurt's best friend. Yeah, is he? If he <laughs> is the guy who bought the gun that Kurt ended up using. Right. This is all, this is gets very convoluted and Nick is like ready to catch this guy in a lie. Yeah. So it turns out that Tom Grant and Dylan Carlson searched their Seattle home for Kurt the day before he was found. So basically Courtney like gives him gives like gives the PI the keys and he's like go to Seattle call Dylan he's our friend he'll take you into the house see if you can find him. Yeah, friend yeah. slash dealer. Thank you just open the door for me. Another really heartbreaking thing is that there's audio of them searching the house. Yeah. And when they're calling his name yeah. and it's nothing and we know that he's there. Yeah. It's just so like it's Oh, I hadn't so, thought of that, but it is so creepy. Like we know that he's there and they don't find Kurt. But he was there. 
Right. So what you're saying is that his dead body was there. Was there up in the greenhouse. So the greenhouse is like a room above the garage, which is connected to the house, but they just didn't search it. Yeah, and there's... People are saying, Tom Grant and, and Nick, that Dylan was sort of like, oh, you want to go in the greenhouse? That's weird. Nothing to see there, buddy. Like, let's just <laughs> let's just stay down here. And like Tom Grant is the worst P.I. if he's like, oh, I'll believe you, heroin dealer. But you do hear him on the tape saying, like, I'm going to follow you because you know where everything is. He does say that on the tape. I'm going to follow you through here because you know where everything is. Still. Yeah. That's a bad P.I. move. <laughs> say like if there's another room I'm looking at it why why that's are you, true and why as the best friend would you not want to search every single corner of that home but does that maybe lead to the idea that nobody thought he was going to kill himself because like why would you think like Kurt never goes to the greenhouse above the garage why would he be there like we're not looking they're not looking for a dead body they're looking for Kurt I, I mean of course it's easy to say yeah I think I would look everywhere even when I look for the remote you know where I look in the freaking refrigerator <laughs> have you thought about being a P.I.? No, but I think I'd be really good at it. I also like love Columbo, as you know. So I watch like way too many Columbo. You episodes. and Frederick Bourdain. Uh, love Columbo. It's beautiful. How do you not? I know, it's true. Um, the one thing that I wanted to point out, some of the things that he points out on his website are are you know, useful. Like he says the guns had no no fingerprints on them, as though they had been wiped. Right. That's interesting. Another thing that he says is that the suicide note, which anybody can find on the internet now, mm-hmm. but the suicide note, the idea behind the suicide note is that it wasn't a suicide note, that Kurt had written a note to his fans to say why he was leaving the business. Mm-hmm. So it's a long letter, and it is very obviously a farewell of some kind. It's a goodbye letter. It's saying why the business has destroyed him, why he's unhappy, why it's not what he wanted, all this stuff. So it's a goodbye to the band, his fans, the music industry, Seattle. He's leaving Seattle. And also, apparently, there were divorce proceedings sort of happening behind the scenes. So he's not including Courtney in this note because it's more about his business. And then in the last four lines, look like a child wrote them. And it's like noticeably different. So different. The size is different. They're angled. They're written in a totally weird way. And like, that's when it's like, oh, by the way, Courtney, I love you. Goodbye. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. And says something about Francis Bean. Yeah. Tom Grant's theory is that Courtney had somebody write in, you know, write it in to make it look like a suicide note. Write the last four lines in to make it look like a suicide note. And they did a terrible job. Yeah. It's so obvious that someone else wrote those. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Wait, so do you think that somebody else wrote those last four lines? Uh, yeah. I think someone else was there. Someone had to be there, wipe off the prints. That is weird. Someone yeah. wiped off those prints. It's just like, why would somebody do that? That is so insane. Kurt was worth millions of dollars. If uh, if there's a divorce in the works, Courtney's going to get half of everything at best. If he ends up committing suicide, Courtney ends up with everything. And, you know, she's only she only knew him for a little over two years at the time. So here's a woman that came into this man's life and in less than a three-year period, owned everything that he had accumulated through his own talents. Hey, you guys. It's Patrick breaking in from the editing studio. So in case you hadn't noticed, this movie's a little all over the place. And at this point especially, the documentary takes a sharp left turn, and we just want to make sure that you're able to follow. So... At this point, Nick gets bored with the conspiracy theory stuff and basically drops the whole did Courtney have him killed thing. I no longer believed in the conspiracy theories. Though you will meet one more person on that front that Nick, like, just can't help himself from going to interview. Anyway, the movie at this point just becomes about Nick and his team trying to track down Courtney Love. Courtney, around this time, had been harassing both verbally and physically journalists that had been writing about her. Hello. 
There's even tape of Kurt doing it sometime before his death. This is Kurt Cobain. If anything comes out in this book that hurts my wife, I'll fucking hurt you. And Nick isn't having it, especially when he finds out that Courtney's being honored by the ACLU for being a defender of free speech. Yes, it's all nuts. Oh, and yes, I'm now aware that Nick's last name is Broomfield, not Bloomfield. And yes, I cringe and hate myself a little bit more every time I hear myself saying it wrong. Okay, back to it. So now, okay, so now like the hunt is on for Courtney, right? Right. So Nick Nick enlists the help. Hang on, I have to find their names. The Stockerazzi, Alan and Jack. Yep. One of whom has no problem being on camera. The other one feels differently. Here's what I loved about that so much. There's one of them who's like, yeah, so uh, we live under the LAX flight path. You see a plane flying overhead. It's like super loud. And he's like, yeah, like super normal looking guy, just very like open book about what he does. You know, you want to find Courtney Love and she is in a lockout with her band at a uh, rehearsal facility in Hollywood for the next several weeks preparing for Hull's upcoming tour. And then they pan over, which is like brilliant <laughs> filmmaking. They pan over to this guy wearing... Who's his partner sitting next to him on the couch. Right. His business partner, not life partner, guys. Calm down. Yeah. It's not that guy. <laughs> and if it was, great. Right, totally. Wearing a, like a half ski mask, like one of those like foamy ski masks. Yeah. Glasses and a hat, but he has, he has long He's hair. He's going to a wig. It's clearly a wig. It's a wig under the hat. The hat wasn't enough, girl. He needed a wig. And sunglasses. And they pan over, and then they don't introduce him, and he's just like, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And he just starts talking. But he, like, doesn't disguise his voice either. It's like, oh, my God. We'll have to be out there uh, probably with a smaller camera than the one you have here, just in case something does happen, we can whisk it away. But they they call themselves stalkerazzis. The worst. In my part of the description, I wrote in all caps, one of them is in full disguise like a gay guy on a 1980s talk show. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that's perfect. That's perfect. And like, they're totally cool and they're like, yeah, we're like super grimy. Yeah, I need the money. Whatever. It's like, you guys have, you're such bottom feeders. I just can't understand. Like, I would love the conversation. I would love to be a fly on the wall in the conversation of like, Nick, Nick is coming over. One of them is like, cool, I'm ready. And the other is like, hold on. I just need to get my like face mask. Like, what was that conversation of, of who decided what they were comfortable with? But like, what do you think was behind the face mask? Some like nondescript, like nobody cares. Dude. But like, why do you think that he was trying to hide his face? Because they direct us to El Duce. Oh, oh. he's terrified of Courtney Love. Right. Of course, it all comes back to yeah, that. It's true. So and the other guy. Th- the reason no that Nick is even there is because they're like, oh, we know where Courtney's recording with her band Hole. They're going on a tour. They're recording <clears throat> um, Celebrity Skin, by the way. This was like ninety. It was it was during her re- her transformation and Hole became. It was Celebrity Skin, and they did that song Malibu, and it was all. It was like the right. polar opposite of was Live Through This. It was it was the polar opposite of Live Through This. It was just like her trying to be like 1998, like like her like updated adult grunge rock. Like take me seriously. Oh my god! Kill my husband. Like like let me talk about Malibu and whatever the other song is. The whole point is that like these like stalkerazzis are going to get Nick to 
uh, Courtney. Nick just wants to ask her one question. Like, why are you intimidating journalists? This is no longer about, did you kill Kurt Cobain? This yeah. is like, why are you intimidating? And you hear, we won't get into it because it's you just have to watch the movie. But like, yeah. if I hear one more story of like Courtney Love throwing beer in some girl's face and then dragging her across the dance By floor. her hair? And then she was like, I got the hell out of Dodge. She moved out of <laughs> Seattle right yes. quick. And there's all this like audio of her screaming and threatening people. I mean, it's real. It, we're not speculating. Courtney no. Love legit yeah. threatened to kill many journalists. Right now, Courtney audio. is listening to this. She's on her fourth cigarette. She's just like nodding her head. She's like, yeah. yeah. Like nice. we haven't really, we haven't said anything wrong. So this guy's in this disguise yeah. because they are now letting Nick know about a total piece of garbage named El Duce. And I don't even want to talk about him that much because that's how much I hate this person. I know. But I wanted to be pointed out that Nick says with no irony, the person who takes them to El Duce's house, do you remember who it is? Who is it? A pimp. The following day, we drove out to Riverside with Divine Brown's pimp, a close personal friend of El Duce's who said he could put us in touch. Oh, right, the pimp. How did I forget the pimp? I wrote it, like, all in caps in my notes. And I'm like, wait, who's what? How, like, that, you, you keep in the lottery moment of the woman kicking you out of the lottery place where it doesn't go anywhere, but, like, you don't explain who this pimp is and how you're here. And so El, du- El Duce is, is, like, apparently the guy that, like, w- that Courtney tried to pay $50,000 to kill Kurt. So, and, but you, uh, you did some deal with Courtney, right? Yeah. She offered me 50 grand to whack Kurt Cobain. Yeah, I was telling you. She what? 50 grand to whack Kurt Cobain. He turned it down, which he regrets. Which he regrets. When she offered me money, God dang, I wish I would have taken it, man. First of all, and she said, make it look like a suicide. Also, here's why I hate this person. He is just a total piece of garbage. He's one of those people who, like, just wants to offend for the sake of offending. Uh He calls his music rape rock. Which is just, like... It's almost like we shouldn't even give it any credit. Exactly. Yeah. So I hate him. I he hate, also gets hit. Are we recording? Is it the record? Does, let the record show I <laughs> yeah, hate this person. Three days later, El Duce gets hammered and wanders onto train tracks and is killed. That's the end of El Duce. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. So then we go back to the Stalkerazzi yeah. to get Courtney. They're like rehearsing how they're going to do it. It's yeah, oh so weird. Oh my God. They're it's practicing. So like one of them comes out of the bathroom while the other one's holding a camera. Yeah. Courtney, hey. Watch you, motherfucker. Oh, yeah. Hey, Courtney, yeah. all I want to. Just like that. Be ready because she's going to fucking try to grab that camera. The first thing she's going to see is that camera. At this point, you cannot take this movie seriously for one more second. It's, it's just wandered so far off the rails. And like, the, like that just goes nowhere except for the fact that like it sort of culminates in. Again, I have to reiterate, at this point, Nick Bloomfield is just trying to get to the bottom of, like, why Courtney is, like, bothering journalists and threatening journalists, and especially because she's being honored by the ACLU. Take it away. Specifically defending First Amendment rights. Yeah, exactly. That's what the dinner is. Yeah. And she goes up. She's being honored. Yeah. She makes this speech. It's like, well, before she makes the speech, there's, like, they get into, like, the press area. And the 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 Stakarazzi guys are on the press line, and this is their chance to ask. Like they literally, the plan is to be like, "Did you kill your husband?" Right. And like shove the microphone in her face, <laughs> and it gets. She's like wandering. Out. So the thing, the other thing too, the tension every time Courtney Love is on screen oh is 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 absolutely terrifying. Yes, it is. So take it from here. So she's on the line, 
And they're like, oh, hey, so we heard, are you doing like a, a Mamas and the Papas cover? I, I heard you talking about Sun. And you could see it in her face, that fear, no lover or hater or whatever. It's still very creepy to know that someone was actually stalking you and listening in on your recording session. So, yeah, what they're saying to her is like, we overheard your, your session. of your rehearsal at SIR, it sounded really good. How did you catch my rehearsal at SIR? Listening in, you're well, what were you doing there? Uh, you're not supposed to bit. do that. But you can see that immediate, that split second on her face, like, oh, my, like, this. Okay, this is something I need to handle. Was it with, did it have like a lyric about sun or something? We're doing this whole California record. So it's Malibu. Is she's, she's like, oh no, we're talking about sun. It's for the song Malibu. And he's like, okay, great. No more questions. And Nick is like, <laughs> what? You had one you job, see, you, you idiot. Al's nerve had obviously failed him too. I just, you know, was so overwhelmed by the killing this is a big chance, isn't it? You had one thing to ask her, and all she did was talk about her new single. So she, right. she won. Yeah. It's all she wanted to do was she talk did. about her music. Yep. So then Nick takes his opportunity before going in. He, She's like coming out of the bathroom, and she's like, Courtney, Courtney, and she's legit about to pass, mm-hmm. not Courtney. talk to him. Mm-hmm. But then he's like, Courtney, what does the ACLU mean to you? She comes over, clearly, she barely knows what the ACLU is. Oh, she has no idea. Courtney, no offense, girl. I love you. Call me. But like, don't. I'm just saying, don't be mad. I just maybe you did know, and you just I don't know. I, whatever, it's fine. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm You're sorry, great. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm you totally sorry. know what the answer is. But um, but like she like didn't know, and she's like, oh, it's a lot like my parents. Very liberal. It's very good that it's. Very- um, they're really liberal, and I was raised by hippies, and I'm like, we all know that you were raised in a fo- like. We all know that you like that you're a dirt person. <laughs> Yeah, like we all know that everything. But like Nick is kind of like saying to her, like, and then he sa- he asked her, like, why are you, why are you not letting journalists talk? Like, and she, you know, like you were saying, like she's like obviously this is something she has to handle, but she's like, you know what? Like they're using their First Amendment right. I'm using my like it's not against the law for me to call and threaten them. Whatever. Right. Like bye. she thinks she she thinks she has every right in the world. How they threaten them? Yeah. Well, because it's my right to do it. It's not against the law, but it doesn't mean I'm going to take them to court unless they lie. Don't lie. And then she goes on this. Like her acceptance speech or whatever it is, this honoring thing. And she was like, good journalists, bad journalists, doesn't matter. <laughs> All forms of media, the lowest and the highest, have their absolute right to that person Amendment right as well. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you have called people worse things on their voicemail, which are just being sprinkled yeah. through this documentary. Like, we know that you don't believe that at all. Right, exactly. So Nick, like, storms the state. I couldn't actually quite believe what I was hearing, but I decided to do something I've never done before, to ask a question in public that I considered well worth asking. So this is this is literally crazy, because Nick Bloomfield works for the BBC. Like, right. it is not a nothing news organization. No. It's the BBC. Right. You know? He hands one of the, the Socrates who allow, we can see his face. Yeah. The one who screwed up the question. Yeah. Hands it in the camera, and the voiceover, Nick was like, he had an anxiety attack. Unfortunately, Al started having a panic attack behind the camera. Nick goes up to the stage and is like, I just want to ask Courtney Love a couple of questions about journalism and First Amendment rights. And it's just, a, it's like, dude. I don't want to, be a, to appear to be a party group, um, but in, in the interest of uh, free speech, I wanted to ask a couple of questions. Um, I think Hollywood always has a problem distinguishing uh, reality from myth or image, and unless it is considered appropriate behavior to threaten or cajole or manipulate uh, journalists, esteemed journalists who have written unflattering reviews, 
Um, I find it a strange decision on the part of the ACLU to uh, choose Courtney, Courtney Love as a special guest here tonight. Right. Meanwhile, it's all like the nerdiest people in Hollywood. Like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Trying like, to like, like skirt him yeah. off the stage. You get off the stage, sir. Yeah. Like, like, we have civilized dinners here at the ACLU. Exactly. Meanwhile, the don't invite Courtney Love. Also, ACLU, we love you. Like, we you're, lo- do- no, we love you. you're doing God's work. You are. Um, but that's oh, but like before it ends. Oh my goodness, it ends. I literally have in all caps. Aunt Mary is back. Before we get to Aunt Mary, because she comes back, and uh-huh. I love her. Four seconds on the nanny. Oh my God! Yes, 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 yes. So again, in a basement. You're yeah. totally right. They meet this woman, Chelsea, who and Chelsea just calls Nick. No, oh, leaves no, leaves no, 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 windshield. windshield. Like it's also like insane. basically like eyes darted in hearts. You're expecting this like 14 year old teeny bopper, and what you get is not that. Is like an older, messier Courtney Love. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Everyone in Seattle, by the way, in 1997 looked exactly like Courtney Love. Yes. And she's wearing, like, a bra that she's falling out of and some, like, loose top. Like, again, like, pull like pull yourself together. You have guests. <laughs> so she's, like... It's the not unsexy Nick Bloomfield from the BBC. <laughs> Nick Bloomfield is kind of Delphi. Sorry, I just... I Googled if there was any shirtless pictures. I did. Of Nick Bloomfield. There aren't. Anyway, Nick... Nick goes to meet Chelsea because, yeah, why wouldn't you meet someone in a basement who just left a note on your car saying, like, I know the truth or whatever she wrote? Just uh, something insane. So then she's just saying, oh, the nanny. The nanny was terrified. The nanny this, the nanny that. You know what? Let me call the nanny. They never say a name. It's literally just the nanny over and over again. Her friend, the nanny, had never been interviewed before. She might come here. She's really scared. She's always been afraid to talk about this. So then suddenly cut suddenly the nanny is there. Yeah. She looks like she's eleven. <laughs> she does. And I think Chelsea is her mother. I don't know. They don't say it, but they were. She was saying like I was terrified. I couldn't stand it there. You know, she drove Kurt to kill himself, and then she was like, I left, and then she turns to Chelsea, and she's like, I came home what like a week before that. Yeah, 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 yeah. They seemed very comfortable. I never th- even thought about that. But the ages could kind of. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. It hit totally. me. I was like, why are they just saying? But she's she's the one that finally hammers the point home that like if Courtney didn't kill him with a gun, she killed him with her personality. Yeah. If he wasn't murdered, he was driven to murdering himself. Yeah. She also has one of the. It's, it's got to be like a nerve laughter thing she laughed too much oh she, she was like then he murdered himself <laughs> like yeah it's hilarious I'm sure that he killed himself <laughs> there you go so anyway the movie ends with aunt mary and she's like back in a school like she's in a school room she's like educating students about depression and drug addiction and she's like in this classroom in front of teenagers and she's like is there anybody here who does not know who kurt cobain was no of course it's like 1998 everybody yeah. knows who kurt cobain in is in seattle yeah okay i just have to ask and she's, like, sharing her, like, story about losing him and how it was, like, the hardest thing that, yeah. that ever happened. I mean, she's the only person who has turned this around to try to make some good out yeah. of it and spread some education. She's the only sane person in this documentary. She is. Yeah. There is a, a message of life in this song. And it's a lot like you and me when we're going through hard things in our lives. And losing Kurt was one of the hardest things I've ever been through in my life. And I'm still going through it. I still cry still hurt from time to time. I'm missing. I want to say that is kind of like somebody I feel like I could hang with. As long as she didn't kill her husband. Or like have any part of it. I, I think what I'm trying to say is that I could you, handle her. I you, feel like I could handle her. Really? You, yeah. I think you'd be exhausted. I think it would Probably. be like a six-day bender and you'd be like, Courtney, I have a child. I have to go home. <laughs> I have a husband and a child. Drink some water. I, I gotta go. <laughs> I just gotta go. I can't. 
You guys, if you're loving true crime obsessed, we'd love it if you'd help us spread the word. Uh, you can do that by sharing your favorite episode on social media, like your Facebook or your Twitter. And rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps. Um, do you want to tell the people where they can find us and all the things? Yes. Go to truecrimeobsessed.com. And you can follow us on Twitter. We love the Twitter. We're having so much fun on Twitter. You guys, I'm literally on Twitter all the time. Like, fi- True Crime Obsessed. No ED. Yep. Um, find us there and follow us. Because I'm on Twitter constantly and I'm, like, sharing fun. And you are also sharing really fun and funny things. Yes. Yeah. We have the best time. So thank you for everyone who's followed us and tweeted at us so yeah. far. We're having the best time with Totally. You. Before we forget to tell you, next week we are discussing Mommy, Dead, and Dearest. And we love you guys. <laughs> and we'll see you next Tuesday for Hashtag... True Crime Tuesday. I wanted you to do it by yourself this time. (laughs) Taking the training wheels off. (laughs) Bye. Bye. This is Courtney Love Cobain. Um, Did I freak you out when I wrote back? Am I like too intense or something? Um, I'm in Kansas City, the Ritz, room 7403. The name is Blanche Dupois.